0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Block Demon podcast. Uh, Today, we'll be talking about the future of proof of stake. We have an amazing panel of experts to join the discussion about the future of staking, the staking landscape, innovations, and challenges in the space. Joining the discussion is Ma Ma Hu, ZeroCap's head of engineering, Nathan Lenga, innovation lead at ZeroCap, and Freddie Svanziger. Ethereum ecosystem lead here at BlockDaemon. So let's dive right in. As we discuss the future of proof of stake, we must first consider staking's position in the wider digital asset regulatory framework, specifically how proof of stake will align with existing and future regulations. Nathan, for yourself to kick off, could you discuss the differences or the impact that regulatory frameworks will have in the future and are having at the moment between countries and their impact on staking activities, specifically, maybe touching on the Australian uh, side of the world where zero cap is based.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's always going to be discrepancies between regulations in different countries. And that always sort of creates this uh, sort of arbitrage opportunity between where you can set up shop and, and, and run all of the uh, systems through. Um, in Australia, uh, following the SEC and, and I guess the crackdowns that you know Coinbase is facing and Kraken faced, there's this push um, to sort of follow it with our sort of, I guess, head of regulations or the big body in Australia called ASIC. Um, and the way that ASIC's looking at it at, at, at currently is very much so where if there's assets being pulled together to set up a node, that is illegal. And, and, and hence it kind of gets to this point of, you have to be really clear about how a transaction is going onto the chain and then being staked to ensure that you're not performing a legal task. Um, in, 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 I guess, in regards to Ethereum and proof of stake, it's pretty easy to just get 32 ETH and then put it together. But for other um, proof of stake systems, especially if, if it's something like DPoS, um, or, you know, for polkadot where you have to bond it all, there's an element of it's being pushed together into a pool and then being staked. So, in those situations, ASIC is not going to be happy, so we've got to be really careful, um, whereas in other countries where the environment is a bit different, that's fine and that's you know not really viewed as being different from any other sort of type category of staking. Um, so it's just about trading carefully in terms of actually mapping out on-chain what goes on and then sort of having the ammunition of that argument in the back pocket in case, you know, ZeroCap or another entity in Australia gets... Um questioned by ASIC. Um, but yeah, so there's always gonna be a difference and it, it it's really about what you set up and and working with that that main regulator. Yeah.
0: For yourself, Mama, I want to touch on the question of how decentralized will staking be in the future. Obviously, decentralization is a core aspect of cryptocurrencies. In the context of staking, I'd like to explore the balance between decentralization and efficiency, specifically maybe talk about some of the trade-offs between decentralization and efficiency in the context of -of proof-of-stake systems, and I suppose discuss maybe your opinion, what is the ideal level of decentralization to achieve a balance between security, performance, and inclusivity as we look at proof-of-stake in the future?
2: Yeah, well, the Ethereum implementation of -of proof-of-stake is already a kind of really interesting and really difficult and impactful step forward. In hopefully a more decentralized uh, paradigm, because if you look at like successful, you know, production grade layer one, uh, you know, battle tested proof of stake systems, we all started with delegated proof of stake, and that whole family of systems between, you know, uh, you know EOS and then um, like the Steam it and various systems for that, and so and they worked like in theory, but then again, in theory there are no reason there's not really uh, like I mean they're obvious they were obviously really interesting innovations, but in, there wasn't as much room for error because really they, they were just impl- implanting uh, practical Byzantine fault tolerance again with kind of uh, additional incentive mechanism on top. And so the whole idea of being able for like everyone, and not exactly everyone because there is a, a fairly high threshold, but almost everyone being able to stake their ETH directly um, and also that it, like it actually being deployed into production, you know, the whole community actually moving over, you know, nothing happening like you know, the the DAO fiasco in 2016 or the parody hack, nothing like that happening is absolutely amazing. And it's a real testament to the the engineering and the the, um, technical and academic acumen of the Ethereum team. Now, that being said, whether that'll actually lead to more decentralization is yet to be seen, you know? I mean, uh, again, it's a really good step in in the right direction, but on the flip side, it's still a fairly high minimum, there's still a fairly high level of, well, um, of technical sophistication required to, to stake successfully, which is why companies like Blockdaemon exist. There's still the problem that ultimately people who are staking are earning interest and not like a fairly high level of interest on their earnings, which means that over a long run, you would expect uh, capital to reaccumulate and those that already have capital. So there's still kind of a number of problems with how the system is being set up. So um, I think everyone would love to see complete decentralization, or maybe some kind of way decentralization based on how stable internet is and, and based on how altruistic and um, and well-versed in the protocol people are across the distribution of human beings or whatever systems across the world. In reality, I think, uh, well, I mean, I guess we'll have to see.
0: Building on the topic of decentralization, Freddie, I'd like to touch on which parts of the network stack can and should be decentralized, specifically taking a closer look at governance, incentives, validator selection. Um, Ethereum famously has no uh, on-chain governance, whereas you have other proof of state protocols where there are actively running governance. For We see that on Cosmos, we see that on uh, Cardano. Um, Given the fact of Ethereum's success and its governance model, has Ethereum's governance model got it right? And is that going to be the default going forward, do you think? Or do you see more role of decentralized autonomous organizations in governing staking protocols going forward? How are you looking at uh, governance going forward into the future um, for proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies?
3: Right. I think this is a very interesting question. I don't think if Ethereum necessarily got the governance perspective right even though i am no fan of on-chain governance so i i think there's some merit to the off-chain governance that ethereum has now whether that's uh, you know a, a consequence or a reason for success that ethereum enjoys right now I guess nobody knows, right? What what I found interesting is number 1, if you want to achieve decentralization, you have to achieve it on many many different levels. Uh you know, it could be client diversity, could be geography, could be, you know, cloud providers versus uh bare metal hosting versus on-prem, you know, it, it could be, you know, the 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 minimum requirement of capital uh would be something, but particularly with regards to, to governance, I think there's the interesting bit on Ethereum is that there's also some levels of DAO governance. Like if you think about LIDO, liquid staking protocol controlling, I think about 32, 33% of the total ETH staked right now. This is governed by a DAO with all its you know benefits and, and drawbacks potentially. So far, LIDO has been very successful and seems to be, um, you know, let's say a force force of good in the ecosystem, I would say. Uh, but there has been some criticism about that and and concerns about risk of governance attacks on Lido because they control such a big stake. Uh, and then there's others like, like Rocket Pool and, and others that, that sort of try to bring other innovations on that. So I think actually in the end, it, it'll always gonna be a mix between different governance models. And I think generally, I'm a fan of heterogeneous systems, basically, because whenever you have a, a monoculture of anything in biology or, or in this kind of systems, it's more susceptible, more susceptible for, you know, attack or abuse or, or something. So to encourage overall resilience, I think a diversity of approaches, including in governance, I think is the best way forward.
0: And you touched on diversity there. Mau, Mau- maybe talk around the decentralization on a hardware front from the hardware perspective and maybe discuss the feasibility and desirability of complete decentralization in hardware infrastructure for proof of state networks and the potential impact on network resilience, energy efficiency, and and attack resistance from an infrastructure perspective.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's something you want to, um, you want to target. I think you see not exactly a terrible precedent set, in the Bitcoin um, mining space where you have a few large ASIC manufacturers. And also, if you want to do Bitcoin mining, you don't use ASIC, you're you know, you're like the game's over for you a long, long time ago. It has its ASIC or nothing for, for a long time now. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that companies like Bitmain have been bad stewards of the network, but certainly it's created different kinds of incentive mechanisms that were unpredictable at the time. Um, and going back to the earlier point, you know, it led to over fifty percent concentration in China, um, and now over fifty percent concentration in the United States. So there's still, you know, a number of um, thus far mostly theoretical, but certainly possible attacks that open up from this kind of concentration. And so, you know, and now in theory, uh, in Ethereum proof of stake, there's not quite the same um, requirement. Now I guess there would be the case that certain certain families, certain classes of processors or. systems would be more resilient which have more theoretical uptime whether it's you know like some kind of distributed system you know we all saw that um if you look at uh the so-called i guess classical um you know silicon valley bubble the dot-com bubble and you look at how server architecture kind of evolved over time where we had like these big old mainframes and then google was the first one to come up with well, like if we have this massive uh, like cabinet that's air conditioned, why don't we just stuff it full of really cheap, uh, you know, commercial grade servers. And then just, if they fail, they fail because they're so cheap, it doesn't really matter. And we just run distributed system over instead, that'll be why we have high high uptime. And that and is basically how everyone's running their servers now. So it's entirely possible that we're kind of like collapsed back in that kind of paradigm where there's some kind of you know, global optima in terms of you know, cost efficiency um and then that'll just con- re-concentrate power back into you know maybe a few large chip manufacturers or f- a few large computer hardware manufacturers so the jury's still out there it's kind of hard to say whether uh the, the way things are set up um you know it might actually lead to more decentralization in hardware in theory having any kind of rigid protocol is always going to lead to some kind of optima as people kind of figure it out you know market forces are pretty pretty intelligent over time Um, Again, so I guess we'll have to see, but, you know, again, it's another interesting step in the right direction.
0: And then having covered various aspects of decentralization, let's move on then maybe to the innovations and some of the potential advantages that these new innovations could bring to the staking space. Um, Specifically, Freddie, some of the innovations that come to mind for staking recently are decentralized validator services, uh, Eigenlayer. What is your perspective of these new innovations when it comes to staking, including, you know, decentralized validator services, and maybe what are the potential benefits and also potential challenges that these innovations could bring to the overall security and scalability of, of proof of stake networks?
3: Right, absolutely. So obviously we're very excited about all these innovations. And that's you know part of the reason why I'm in this space, because you know, there's just so much going on and the the, the speed of innovation is, is so high. So um, with regards to some of the things that you mentioned, distributed validated technology or DVT in short. Um, obviously is another step forward in the decentralization as we we talked about earlier, as it would basically decentralize the single validator key to um, a group of people, basically, whoever that might be. And there's obviously different approaches by SSV and Oval Network and others. Um, So that would eliminate one single point of failure. But like you alluded to, this might be a step forward, but it also comes with its own risks. Because if you then rely on, for example, a a single implementation of DVT, uh, and that would have a a critical bug or something, then obviously that would have bad consequences if everyone would run it. Um, Or like the the, the peer-to-peer gossiping network between the, the communication between the participants of a DVT committee. Uh, could also be be faulty or something like that. So uh, again, I would say that you know, coming back to my earlier statement, is that th- the more different approaches we have and and live in the system, the more resilient it is because it avoids uh, central points of failure. And as with Eigenlayer, uh, we're very excited about that new paradigm as well because it has the potential to increase the capital efficiency. Right now, those thirty two ETH in uh, Ethereum staking are are locked and are you know, earning earning their rewards of maybe five percent or so, but it's a lot of capital that's sitting there on the sidelines, and so it's just natural to try to you know make it more productive. And we've seen this obviously with liquid staking, like I mentioned earlier, which gives you a receipt token that then you can you know use uh, in some other DeFi use cases, for example. An Eigenlayer would have a different approach to reusing your thirty two ETH collateral. Uh, and securing additional protocols. Now this would give you know the opportunity for our customers and, and any staker really, uh, to increase rewards with some additional risks because there could be slashings on the new protocols as well. So that's something that we need to carefully balance basically. and we'll certainly advise our customers in that regard. Um, and then there might be effects that you know, if, if you participate in too many, then and get slashed everywhere, that could be bad. So I think this is very early days for for these kinds of concepts to to figure out. What really excites me most on Eigenlayer is not so much the perspective for the stakers, but the the level of innovation it can unlock on Ethereum that is pretty much similar to the Cosmos space with its app chains, right? So I think this is going to be another force that that drives the multi-chain future. Uh, along with you know all the layer twos and the op stack and and you know we've seen with base chain launching, obviously a very exciting movements on the L2. All the zk EVMs. The, like, there's there's going to be so many <laughs> of different chains, whether that's layer two side chains, app chains, I layer secure chains. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be uh, tough to keep track. Uh, but uh, again, it it'll increase the diversity of the overall blockchain ecosystem not, not so much the, the ethereum stack itself but uh, the overall thing and the approaches and uh, so generally that's that's a that's a good thing and exciting uh, years ahead
2: By the way, i just want to say that i think the eigen layer is a terrible terrible idea because to me it really is just a rerun of merge mining I don't know if you guys remember that fiasco but that was a great people thought that was a great idea it was like oh we'll just use sha256 and we'll support the same hashes from the Bitcoin network, and we'll quote unquote utilize the security from the Bitcoin network and the hash power. And what actually happened is you would have these like whales in the Bitcoin network that would make up like 99% of the hash power on the merge mine network, and they would just double spend attack it at their leisure. And um, I think ultimately, I don't think there's any, there's no such, there's no free lunch when it comes to security. And so you think that you can try to build on this other network, but you know, like Bitcoin, again, is another great example where people say that using ASICs, and using SHA-256 is wasteful, but at the same time, like there's so much kind of institutional um, like uh, legacy hash power built into it. And it's such an esoteric space that if you really want to attack the Bitcoin network, you can't just turn on a bunch of supercomputers anymore. You have to buy a shitload of ASICs and people are going to be, why is this new, why is this, you know… Uh, CIA Inc. buying a ton of ASICs. What are they doing? And so it's very hard to, like, you know, uh, sneak up and attack the Bitcoin network using the massive overhang of hash power these days. And so, you know, trying to, I think, trying to use Eigenlayer to utilize the, the stake in the, in the Ethereum network, I think is just kicking the can down the road for people trying to build their own security.
0: Advantages and drawbacks. Definitely, Mau And talking about the path forward for staking, Nathan, for yourself, we talk about in, in proof of work, we had max, uh, minor extractable value, MEV, and now uh, we have maximum extractable value, which is well, factually become more important post merge. Could you talk to me about the relationship between MEV today and institutional staking and suppose, the role of MEV in proof of stake systems?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I might reverse all of those questions just so it kind of flows a, a bit better in my head. But um, yeah, I think in, in any blockchain, and it's been said for many years now, that at the moment, MEV is just some fundamental value that's going to be there, right? It's the same way that there's extra, you know, <clears throat> value in my in free markets. We have HFT firms. Um, we have market makers who capture all this value, and that's our whole job. And they're regulated to do so. Um, and it's very similar when you have so much financial uh, instruments and vehicles being built in the DeFi space. There's going to be opportunities. There'll be liquidations. There'll be extra value on chain for sandwich attacks. So there's heaps going on with MEV. And it's gone to the point now that for a developer um, of a blockchain of a layer one, and eventually it'll be layer twos, um, if consensus is sort of added into layer twos when you have enshrined roll-ups. Um where, when building a new layer one, if you don't consider MEV as a factor that will have some influence um over the logical actors in the network, you're kind of you're almost shooting yourself in the foot, right? Because it's it's this inevitability. Um and, and in that sense, the the relationship between proof of stake. And MEV, um, you know, it, it, it to, to many it seems sort of deleterious. To many view it as a, um, you know, some, some say it's a zero sum game because someone wins, someone loses. Some say it's it's dead weight loss, which is also a fair take on on what MEV is, in, in proof of stake. But um, you know, there are heaps of solutions that are sort of making them more harmonious together. And there's, there's, you know, there's MEV burn, um, there's MEV share and split. Um, you know, fundamentally, if, if you will, from our take, especially uh, as, as market makers in the industry, you know, that value has to be captured to have a, a, you know, an efficient market. Otherwise, you're going to have people, you know, making weird trades, different prices. There'll be no almost uniform prices or spotless options, derivatives, perpetuals, everything. So when you have MEV being actively captured, because that's the incentive, you're actually building more free and efficient markets. So the the idea of getting rid of MEV in proof of doesn't make sense, but you know the, the, there's been heaps of, of innovations with like proposer builder separation, which is sort of centralized. Then, then you can say, well, then how about if we decentralize the builder role, which is even more challenging? And then there's all these layers of encryp- you know threshold encryption to ensure that it's not being cut in the middle of it. So you know when the proposer, I'm not really explaining it very well, but when the proposer um, selects the block. That someone's built for them hence it's competitive and decentralized um they don't really know anything about the block until they've chosen the most profitable one um but there's still ways around that um and hence you know pbs is one of the big parts of the ethereum roadmap um and and quite clearly if that innovation and, and, and that upgrade to the network comes after and, and will come after the merge when previous Stake was actually in, you know established it's, it's pretty clear that that's where it's going. It has to be a uh, kick-the-can-down-the-road uh, issue that we'll solve eventually. Um, but for institutions, the other question, um, it is also a grey area, right? Uh, last year when Avi ex- exploited mango markets, he was then um, arrested, which sort of which, which makes you think, is this front-running? Right, MEV is, is capturing MEV front-running. Because, again, if you go to the chain and you map it out for a regulator, it pretty much is. Because you're looking at transactions before they're executed and you know deemed truth via uh, consensus or sh- social consensus, um, and then before that happens, uh, you're saying, "All right, this transaction is going to come in. I will pay this guy, this validator, you know, a bit of money to put that transaction here, mine here, and the other one there, and then I sandwich them, right? So it's front money. But again, if you go back to the HFT firms, they're also doing the same thing in a different capacity, um, not the exact same way. There's no you know memory pool for Every financial transaction in the world. But um, it's this gray area where most agencies aren't even aware um, or aren't even equipped to solve the issue yet. And they're they're you know sort of cognizant that there exists this value on chain, but there's no solution to to resolve it on a, I guess, a, from, from the perspective of regulators. And, and and hence there is this gray area where if an institution um, or a family office or a a hedge fund is staking and they've opted into using something like MEV Boost or some other, you know, client that allows you to attract MEV natively, um, it could be illegal. Um, It's a grey area that has to be solved at some point when there are fundamental regulations around crypto and staking, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, this inconsistency between country to country. Because, again, that arbitrage will come up and everyone will move all their nodes to one country and then you have the same issue as before with Bitcoin, you know, being centralized in China or America, where all the nodes are being set up in one spot because they can capture the most value. It's simple, you know, incentives and game theory in that sense.
0: Absolutely. And as we wrap up our discussion of MEV and staking, Mau Mau, let's look ahead and explore the role of interoperability in the future of proof of stake. Specifically, we've seen examples around IBC for Cosmos. We see side chains on certain uh, proof of stake networks like Cardano Algorand what role can interoperability play in the future of proof of stake uh, and what are the most feasible paths for uh, interoperability in your opinion
2: i think interoperability as a concept is very exciting i mean obviously there's ibc um we had bridges a long time ago wrapping stuff and having a centralized counterparty putting a token to some other other chain you know like polkadot has been trying for years to really get like cross chain Uh, smart contract constructions you know going so i think it's all really cool from a technical perspective i'm not really sure that we need to reach this level of sophistication to just you know just utilize capable across capital across chains i mean if you really wanted to if you're if you're in two um incompatible networks and you wanted to move your capital across and stake on the other chain why can't you just sell your your native token one chain just buy the other token. I mean, it seems like there's a fairly simple mechanism that we can use without having to solve the really hard problem of like moving tokens over in a completely decentralized manner. That being said, probably is good. Um, And the more decentralization, the more functionality allowed on chain, the better. it's not really a bad thing. Um, I mean, I think think it's gonna be a really interesting technical development. I think we're gonna see a lot of things that are unpredictable as these new capabilities show up. Um, I don't necessarily think it's, uh, you know, it's going to st- stop us from, um, you know, letting capital markets play, do whatever they're supposed to do.
0: And on that note, thank you very much, Nathan, Freddie, Mao Mau, um, expert panelists for joining us today in the future of Proof of Stake. Uh, it's been a fascinating and enlightening conversation. And to our listeners who are listening in, we hope you found this discussion as insightful as uh, we did. So thank you very much.